You know, one of the things that I think that we need to be reminded of, and we talked about this the last time we talked in the book of Genesis, as we've been going through this series on beginnings, is that Noah got to be the exception, but we need to remember that we're the exception. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it's by grace that you have been saved by faith. And it's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works so that nobody can boast. Somehow God stepped into the life of many of you and He stepped into my life. And all of a sudden the Gospel for some reason made sense. It wasn't because I got smarter one day. It was this gift of grace And that grace changed me forever and completely changed the trajectory of my life and my cousin that I sat next to's life. In the same way, it changed the trajectory of many of your lives. Have you ever thought of what you would be like without Christ? What life would look like? So that's that's that thing I want us to dwell on as we take a look at this story today that's a hard story in Scripture. It's a part of God's character that we don't like to think about so much. It's it's that part of His holiness that has the ability to say this, enough. Enough sin. Enough rebellion. Enough turning from Me. I have given you the opportunity to choose Me and you haven't, and and, and it's enough. And so I'm going to punish sinfulness. That's what this story today is about. This story is about God looking down after creation and seeing that even though there was this ability for man to be good, he chose to be evil. He chose to stand against God. And and, and it started with rebellion in the garden and and, and then moved to murder in the field. And then it became a situation where God felt this way. And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him to His heart. When He created man, what did He say? This is good. This is very good. But now all of a sudden He goes from this inward satisfaction to this incredibly deep sorrow because he looks at what man had chosen to do. And so in verse 7 it says this, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. You know, there is a part of God that gets angry, but it's because there's a part of God that gets incredibly sad. That is incredibly disappointed. And at this moment, at the beginning of time, God looked down at the choices of man and He was disappointed and He said, I just want to erase it all. Occasionally when I'm working on a project, it's just not coming together. And if there was a bonfire nearby, (laughs) that would be the best choice. I was watching this video the other day on how to salvage any wood project. 
And I looked at some of the mistakes, and I'm like, I've been beyond that mistake, and I know why I destroyed it. But can you imagine the heart of the same God who had His Son die on the cross for us, being so sorrowful that He decides to blot out all of creation? But Noah was the exception, right? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One man in the midst of all of creation. Some people who who have studied this say there were probably millions upon millions of people that already existed at that time. One man found favor with God. He was the exception. So God decides that He needs to make a builder out of him. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and covered on the inside and out with pitch. Now this is interesting because at this point, although there was probably just one landmass and there was water around it, the idea of having a really big boat didn't really make much sense. Historians believe that the ark was the largest boat ever built. Ever. The length of the ark would be the length of three of the space shuttles. That's how long it was. Pretty big. 450 feet. A huge boat. And so it goes on and says, this is how you'll make it. The length of the ark, oh, by the way, I added the actual footage here because that isn't in Scripture. Okay? The length of the ark was 300 cubits or 510 feet. Its breadth was 50 cubits, and its height was 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side and make it with a lower, second, and third decks. So the height of the ark would be the equivalent of a four-story home or a four-story building. And it had three decks to it. Three areas to it. Inside of it. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all the flesh in which it's is the breath of life under the heaven. Everything <coughs> that is on the earth shall die. Now, they can't even imagine this at this point because the waters just naturally came out of the ground. There was no rain yet. And so everything that God is saying at this moment is unfathomable. It's outside the imagination of someone. It's outside of the imagination. The word ark, they've... St- said, what does it mean? Some people say it means casket, and other people say it means structure. But actually, the ark was the word for palace. I want you to build a palace. A big palace. So, it says that that, that he would do that. And it says, but not only do I want you to build the boat, but I want you to be the captain of the boat. Okay, here's what you need to do. But I will establish a covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives, eight people, and every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. 
they shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, and the creeping things according to their ground. You know, he could have skipped like black flies, (laughs) mosquitoes, you know, bats. You know, bats which are flying rats that, for some reason, why do we think they're going to get in our hair? Have you ever thought about that? Anyway, I digress. According to his kind, two of every sort to come in to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve (coughs) as food for you and for them. This is the world's largest camping trip. And we're talking about taking a lot of stuff with you. This was the first biosphere of Spo, you know. God's going to do this thing. And he said, and here's what it said in verse 22. And Noah did this. He did all that the Lord had commanded him. You see, Noah was the exception. But not only was Noah the exception, but he was a trusting, obedient exception. You don't hear any arguing. You know, people like to take the story of Noah and the flood, and they like to exaggerate and add all those things to it. But we have the main facts, and the main facts are God said, build a big boat, fill it with food and every living animal. And Noah did it. Noah listened to God. Because Noah was obedient. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen you are righteous before this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all the clean animals, the male and his mate, a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep the offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I made I will blot out from the face of the earth. Now this is interesting. Uh, I had to start thinking about this because how many of us like the time delay of working with God? So he was obedient. We know that it took him 120 years to build the ark. Okay, so now he gets on the ark. Now God can do anything, so there's no reason why God couldn't the same day he gets on the ark, it just starts raining. But for seven days. Now, I grew up with a grandfather that was a farmer. And I know that in seven days, what an animal can do inside the barn is not exactly the most exciting thing in the world. And so he's just sitting in this ark with these animals that he's feeding, and they're not completely efficient, so they are making a mess. And he's in there for seven days and nothing's happening. That would not be easy. But this is God's way. God oftentimes does this. He says, I'm planning on doing something eventually. This is my promise. I'll do it sometime. We read on. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Because Noah was not only the exception, 
but he was exceptionally obedient. <laughs> so now is the beginning of the longest year of Noah's life. And we're not going to read every single verse, but we're going to read the story. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. You know why these things are included here? Because this is something that Noah would never forget. So these details went through time. On the day that all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open and rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I've been in Florida where we've had these crazy rains and they last for 40 minutes. And about halfway through that rain, you're just like, this will never end. Can you imagine the experience of 40 days and 40 nights of continual rain? Of, of this upheaval that was taking place? Of this thing that they never experienced ever before taking place? It goes on, it says, And those who entered the earth, male and female of all flesh, went as God has commanded them, and the Lord shut them in. So, it's not even, they didn't even shut the door themselves. God shut the door and placed them inside. And the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole Heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. So even at the peak of the mountains, the water was 25 feet deep. I think there's a word in here that probably you need to underline in your Bible, and that word is prevailed. The waters prevailed. Do you know why they prevailed? Because the God of heaven prevails. And if he says he's going to do something, he never kind of does it. Have you ever met people that kind of do things? You know? Uh, I was watching this video of, of one of these woodworkers I enjoy, and he was taking us through his shop, and everywhere you looked, there were things that he had never finished because he had not prevailed. <laughs> but aren't you thankful that we have a God that prevails? That just doesn't kind of do things and says, you know, see these lives over here? I've been working in them. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get back to them eventually. You know, and see, see this thing that I, I promised to do over here? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to it eventually. No, we have a God who prevails beyond what we can imagine. When he was telling Noah to build the ark, he didn't say, look, the reason I want you to build this ark is you see that mountain over there? I'm going to flood it with water and you're not even going to be able to see it in the the ark's going to be on the top of it. He didn't try to explain that to him. But we have a God who prevails. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, all of mankind, everything on the earth in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Now, in my biblical imagination, I have wondered why God chose to do it this way. Why didn't God use a laser? 
and just said, okay, Noah, you and your family and two of all the animals, just stand inside this circle. <laughs> Don't want to get outside the circle. Stay in the circle. And within two minutes, all of it's done. But think of the tragedy of what is happening here. Think of the tragedy of what people are going through, what animals are going through. This is a horrible tragedy that came out of the sadness of God that He didn't just immediately destroy, but the pain and sorrow that they went through. This is a picture of the future, guys, that is a scary picture. Heaven isn't up. Heaven is a place that will be forever and it's going to be wonderful. But hell is a place that will be forever and it will not be wonderful. There are people that are trying to change the definition of what hell is right now because they don't like the idea that it's eternal destruction. They want to say, well, a loving God wouldn't do that. Well, then a loving God wouldn't have done the flood. It's not going to just be snap and it's over. It isn't the laser of punishment from God. It's eternal punishment in the same way that heaven is eternal glory. And he blotted out everything, living thing, that was on the face of the ground. Men, animals, creeping things, and animals of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were on the ark with him. All of creation that at one point he'd said, this is very good, now was contained inside a very big storage container. (laughs) All of it. Everything that was left. The reason I say that this is is a very long year is because as you read on, you're going to read about all of a sudden that the waters went on for 150 days. And you're going to read on, well, you're going to see what it says. And the waters prevailed for 150 days. As you read on in, in the middle of chapter 13, it says this, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. This is almost a year later. In the second month, on the 27th day of the year, the earth had been dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your family and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that was on with you on of all flesh, birds, animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And now we have the beginning of a new time in creation. And the Lord blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Now, I just thought this was really interesting. I I never thought about this before, but part of the reason they all could live on the ark together is because fear didn't exist there. Do you, do you think about that? Isn't that fascinating? But now all of a sudden, for the most part, most animals that see a human, what do they do? They flee. There was a change in the order of creation. You know, because sometimes you think, how did how did no one, how did Abraham, how did Adam, there all got it. How did Adam name the animals and them not hurt him? Well, because they weren't afraid of him. There is a change in creation here. We're at a different point. All of a sudden, there's a new order to how things work. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. That's why we eat gumbo today. Because everything was given to us to eat. That's why... Some of us love a good steak and other of us want to eat something that's from the sea and other people don't understand how good meat tastes, you know. <laughs> but there, those are the choices that go along with it that started here. It says, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. For his fellow men I will require a reckoning for the life of men. And, the, and I think this is interesting, and I was like, why, why did God say this? Because although he just destroyed all of humanity, he was reestablishing the reality that man is important. You, you, you can't pretend that you're God and just say, well, I'm just mad with you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flood you today. I'm going to take care of you. No. He was saying that man was important and the lifeblood of all creatures was important. This is actually the beginning of capital punishment. He's saying, if you take a life, there's a reckoning for taking a life. He goes on and said that, whoever sheds the blood of men by the man of blood His blood shall be shed, for God made him in his own image. And be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. And then God makes a covenant or a promise. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, as many as come out of the ark, it is from every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again will I, shall I, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I make between you, me and you, every living creature that is with you for all generations I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of covenant between me 
and the earth. And listen to this. I, I, I didn't notice this before, but I thought this is so cool. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is set in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And all the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. He says it again in the next verse. When the bow is in the, cl- in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. You know, I, I, I always thought that the rainbow was to remind me of the covenant that God had made. But that's not what Scripture says here. The reason that the bow exists is so when God sees it, He will remember the covenant that He made between you and I. Isn't that cool? That's there as a reminder to God that He decided to make this decision. I think that's just such an interesting way to look at it. Think about it. When God sees the cross... It is a reminder to God that His Son died for you and me. That's why those signs exist. They don't just exist for us to remember what God is doing, but they exist so that God can remember what He is doing as well. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So, what does the flood say to us today? These are Jesus Christ's words in Matthew. He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to... The day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You know, I hope that we have the heart of God and that we're bothered by the things that we see around us, the choices that people are making the sinfulness, the rebellion that exists around us. But somehow we have to figure out how to be the exception in this age in the same way Noah was the exception in his age. So here's just a couple thoughts. First of all, grace is what makes us the exception. I think we've got to be in love with the reality that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross we can have a relationship with God and it makes us the exception to the reality of what we deserve. The Word of God in Romans says this, for the wages of sin is death. And then it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. Grace gives us the ability to be the exception. So many of you in this room have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you are the exception. You're exceptional because of grace. You like that? But we're saddened, aren't we? At the same time, 
we're excited about being the exception. We're saddened because we see other people that we love very, very much. And we feel like Noah. Because as Noah was building the ark, people were coming up to saying, what are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Because God told me to build an ark because He's going to destroy all of creation. Oh yeah, sure. sure. So how many years have you been building the ark now, Noah? 107. So this thing called rain, when is that coming? Well, when I'm done with the ark and all the animals on the ark. How many animals are you going to put on the ark, Noah? Two of most kinds, but seven of others. You know? Okay, Noah. Well, Noah, if the flood doesn't come, you want to come to my wedding? Hey, Noah, if, if the flood doesn't come, you want to come to the barbecue? Because of grace, it makes us the exception. The second thing is this. We have to be realized that we live in a fallen, sinful world. And I think that we're surprised by that sometimes, and we shouldn't be. We should be saddened by it instead of surprised by it. We live in a sinful world where people make horrible choices. I look at half the TV shows, and I feel like half the TV shows out now are how-tos into how to become a serial killer, how to become a mass murderer, how to treat people poorly. That's kind of what they feel like to me. Because sometimes the things that are on television, I can't imagine ever doing any of those things, but they're a part of this sinful and fallen world. We need to remember that. Last thing is, we must choose obedience. I want us to be but Noah's, okay? In this generation, I want us to be those people that it says, yeah, that was a sinful generation, but Jim walked with God. But Jim was obedient to God. But Jim prevailed in obedience. I think we must choose to be obedient. To trust God and whatever ark building He calls us to, and whatever details that don't make sense to us. You know, I was thinking about, we didn't read the verses, but it says when Noah and his family got off the ark, the first thing they did is they sacrificed animals to God as a thanksgiving offering for saving them. I felt sorry for those animals who made it the whole way through that year, you know of being saved from the flood, and immediately it's like, what do they do? Boom. They become the sacrifice. But we must choose obedience. What, what things in your life right now do you feel like God's telling you, this is an area where you need to choose obedience? Sometimes it's small things. Sometimes it's large things. But all of those things are the same size to God. And He's calling us to trust Him more and be more obedient to Him and to do the things that he asks us. And yet we play these little games. Well, I'm not really sure it's God. No, I could have played that game. In this sinful generation that we now live in, that makes God sad, that he wants to extend his grace to, and we have experienced his grace, now how are we supposed to live that life of obedience? that He called each one of us to. Let's pray. Dear God,
I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I pray for myself. God, I know You're not grading on a curve. I know that Your grace was a gift that I didn't deserve. And yet You're calling each one of us to be like Noah and live out our righteousness by saying yes to You and being obedient in the things that You called us to. And so I pray for a life of obedience for each one of us. That because of the exception of being chosen by grace, that we would be willing to live a life of holiness in the sight of our God. Help us to say yes to you, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen.